very warm welcome to the Chris Fogarty show it is today is the 27th Tuesday at nine o'clock my time I'm in Italy I'm doing this recording with Chris who's in Chicago and we're going to go over what we've been talking about with the FBI crimes and quite interesting whether the Irish government was involved you know it's quite a scary thought if they were but it wouldn't surprise me but a scary thought that that's how dangerous this all is it's not just the English government it's not just you know the FBI in America but the Irish government to allow this against the Irish people, which is quite scary, frightening and really shows us how much in danger we are with our own government. And are they really an Irish government or are they a government working for the Americans and the British? And that would be what it looks like. I acknowledge your courage, Bon, in helping to spread the truth about the arrangers of the Oma massacre and the purpose of that massacre. Your courage, Bon, and that of Jim O'Doherty, who interviewed me recently, is rare in Ireland. It's rare everywhere. So I'm grateful. You're Chris. very well to tell this story and to be able to air it. So for me, it's a, it's a pleasure and um, it's a, a gift. And thank you so much for allowing me to do this and be part of this. By because... the way, you're, you're, you're doing it because no other reporter that I know of in Ireland has the necessary courage to be a reporter. You seem to be alone, you and Jim O'Doherty, and very, very few in Ireland, and an equally few number in the States that I cannot, I cannot find any, I cannot find any who will report these crimes. And most of these crimes occurred in the United States. So anyways, the, perm- the permanent topic of this series is, you might as well go, go yeah. do that now. Was Chicago FBI agent Patrick Ed Buckley years-long deployment in Ireland and OMA and his involvement in the Dublin trial of Michael McEvitt approved by the Irish government despite Buckley's previous series of crimes in Chicago or because of them. Yes, again, I'll just repeat that because that is the whole point of this interview. Was Chicago FBI agent Patrick, quote, Ed, unquote, Buckley's years-long deployment in Ireland and OMA and his involvement in the Chicago frame-up trial of Michael McEvitt, was his time in in Ireland approved by the Irish government despite, and despite is capitalized, Buckley's previous crimes in in Chicago, or because, because is capitalized, or because of his crimes in Chicago. So for further evidence that Buckley's pre-OMA crimes in Chicago were part of a larger government plan follows. In other words, Buckley's had two series of felony crimes in Chicago prior to, <coughs> to his deployment to Ireland and OMA for the deep state. And we're showing now in this interview that those FBI crimes by Agent Buckley were participated in by other branches of the United States government. So I'll read this little piece. While U.S. involvement, well, sorry, while U.S. network TV is promoting the notion of official Russian and Iranian corruption, my wife and I, U.S. citizens, cannot find a news reporter in the States, nor a law enforcement officer, nor federal judge, nor a bar association member, that's say a lawyer, who doesn't scamper away from my attempt to show them documented evidence of FBI crimes in Chicago against my wife and me. 
and those crimes by Agent Buckley were prior to his deployment to Ireland for years, until mission accomplished on 15 August 1998. Mission accomplished for FBI Agent Buckley in Ireland was the Oma Massacre. That ended his time in Ireland. That was mission accomplished. Uh, the Good Friday Agreement, the previous April or May of that year, 1998, was not mission accomplished. Mission accomplished was the, the defeat of the IRA so as to free up British military for use by the neocons, the deep state, in their full spectrum dominance. Full spectrum dominance is defined by these people as the conquest of planet Earth and space. And on the road to China and Russia are the Middle Eastern countries, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, etc. Kazakhstan, etc. And so that's where the, the, the genocides are going on today. But Russia and China are the ultimate targets in order to achieve, quote, full spectrum dominance, unquote. Uh, we, the two uh, uh, vindicated and surviving targets of Agent Buckley's double series of felony crimes in Chicago, were repeatedly told by officials, by the news media, and our defense attorneys that Buckley was regarded by his own FBI as a, quote, cowboy, a loose cannon, unquote, whose evidence fabrications and perjuries are attributable to mere, quote, excessive enthusiasm, unquote. For this reason, for this Von Rhee session, I present additional evidence that not only confirms my previous Von Rhee interviews, but proves that Agent Buckley was no, quote, cowboy, unquote, but was obeying criminal orders from the U.S. government. This interview and its evidence will also, bracket, if even a semblance of justice survives in Ireland, close bracket, will alarm corrupt Irish government officials, as some of them have been accomplices in Buckley's FBI MI5 crimes in Ireland, bracket, that is OMA in 1998 and the frame-up of Michael McKevitt in 2003, close bracket period. So here we go into the to the Exhibit A. In previous interviews, we showed the, the absolutely documented evidence of two series of FBI crimes. This time, we're going to show that the United States Internal Revenue Service, its IRS, with impunity, criminally extorts thousands from me, Chris Fogarty. Uh, some background first. Prior to being, to being deployed to Ireland and OMA, FBI agent Buckley framed me for David Biro's murders. We, we touched on that on, yeah. on, I think, our first interview. That's right. Yes. Not alone touch up, provide the documentation. Yeah, absolutely. While protecting Biro from police investigation. Upon Biro's trial and conviction, agent Buckley, in a completely different series of FBI crimes, framed and incarcerated all four of us in case U.S. 91CR911. Prior to these two series of crimes, even before FBI agent Joe Doyle's warning of the impending crimes, the FBI conducted a smear campaign. They smeared all of us but focused on me. I was in approximate sequence called, quote, a CI agent, a, quote, defrock priest, a, a Mooney, an IRA hitman, and a lottery winner, etc. Another FBI mole's lengthy series of articles in 
the Lumpen Times newspaper repeated these smears. I have them here in our, in our records. Mary had previously traced the smears to an Irish immigrant gift shop owner. Some of her clerks, let's say the gift shop owner's clerks, separately in time, informed us that weekly Agent Buckley visited the shop and the owner would whisk him out of sight to a back room. Because none of the two series of charges against us had had substance, being based entirely upon FBI perjury and FBI evidence fabrication, we never knew what, what prompted their crimes. Agent Doherty's warning to me of the impending crimes referred to, quote, silencing, unquote, us. Either my smoking gun map of Ireland, and that's attachment one, which I sent to you, uh, Yvonne, yes. the smoking gun map of Ireland, that has, that has angered a lot of, of, of pro-genocidists, British people who, who want to keep their genocide of 1845, 1850 in Ireland uh, concealed. So it was either that map that prompted these FBI crimes, to select us for these crimes, or it was um, my FOIA documents, letters to the editor that I received through the Freedom of Information Act that were kept on me, a file kept on me by the FBI. It took me years to get them, but the only legible part of the FBI file on me are letters to, I had written to uh, the editors of Chicago newspapers. That's attachment two that you yes, can print up. Yeah. And or else, or else the, the third item could have been um, the, one second, what was the, good. So that was actually the work of, all these things were the work of good citizens. Uh, I was kind of particularly proud of that scorecard. It showed the various issues that Irish Americans might be concerned with, largely events that are affecting the Irish people and the Irish government, one of them being the McBride Principles for Fair Employment in Northern Ireland. By the way, at all of our hearings in the various states of the Union, and in the, for example, in the Chicago City Council, and later in Washington, D.C., we were always startled to see the Irish Consul General alongside the British Consul General in opposition to Irish America and, and in opposition to the people of Ireland and in opposition to the position of the government of Ireland, if it's an honest government. But they, in all cases, the Irish Consul General across the states sided with Britain uh, against Ireland, or in fact, they would side with any government against Ireland. It was the, the strangest thing we've ever seen. So in every one of our issues, the Irish government were opposing us in our own legislatures. Is that for so, money? Were they being paid by the other governments? Is that why they were doing it? Is it... We just, it, 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 it remains to us, it remains uh, a mystery. We simply do not know, for, uh, for example, why the Irish government actively opposed justice for the Birmingham Six or the Guildford Four. We do not know why the Irish government actively opposed the McBride Principles for Fair Employment in Northern Ireland. Uh, in the, when the Irish, when the Irish in the, in, in, under British rule in the six counties first wanted to be allowed to vote in 1968, they were clubbed into the ground by the RUC and Orange Forces. The struggle went on for the vote. In 1973, after six years of bloody suppression by the British government, the, the Irish in the six counties were allowed to vote and the British government responded by calling upon employers to not hire them in order to 
in order to starve them out of the country and therefore off the voter registration rolls. We learned that in the States, and we learned that uh, 25 U.S. corporations employed 11% of the six-county working population. So we thought if we can get just those U.S. companies to not participate in that anti-Irish policy by Britain, that it would help. And so the McBride Principles for a Fair Employment in Northern Ireland, named, by the way, for Sean McBride, an ex-head of the IRA and also a, a, uh, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, uh, named for him and written by four people in Northern Ireland. It's my understanding uh, a Protestant or two, or two were among the Catholics who, who orig originated that document, the McBride Principles. So we got behind that in the States, and Mary and I led the effort in Illinois, and we were the fourth American state to make it state law. Oh, and soon after, because the city of Chicago has a multi-billion dollar, billion with a B, uh, annual budget, we thought we will get the city of Chicago to also require that companies doing business with the city also uh, swear to admit to not participate in that job denial program in, in the six counties. And then later, the, we got it enacted into law in, in Washington, D.C. So it became federal law Fantastic. that no American companies operating in the six counties can participate in that job denial program against Ireland's six county Catholics. In every one of those legislatures, we were always startled to see the Irish Consul General standing alongside the British Consul General in opposition to enactment. We defeated them every time, mm -hmm. I'm happy to say. But they were always on the side of Britain and against the Irish people. We'll never understand why that happens, but that is the reality. Gosh. They also opposed any efforts for justice for the Birmingham Six and the Guildford Four who were tortured into uh, confessing to, to crimes they had never perpetrated. And the Irish government backed Britain 100% in those crimes against Irish citizens. So we, there, there's a very strange government in Ireland. So it's a so fake among those government. Documents, pardon me? It's a fake government then and has been for a long time. Yes, it seems now that as Billy Maguire of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, head of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, has so frequently said, and I've learned it from him, the Irish, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, Billy Maguire, and there is a site billymaguire.com that's www.billymaguire.com there you can see what the Irish Republican Brotherhood stands for what it always stood for and that is Irish national sovereignty and it points out that the Irish people were free only from well after the election of 1918 which was a landslide uh, for Sinn Féin the real Sinn Féin, not the current one. Yeah. Yes, they formed, a, they formed a government. So the election was in, in December of 1918. On January 21, 1919, just a few weeks later, the winners of that island-wide election formed Dáil Éireann in Ireland. They became the lawfully, duly elected government of Ireland. The British government responded by calling Dáil Éireann an illegal assembly instead of about trying to kill or at least to imprison 
its its members, its elected members. The, the fighting continued, uh, and on the on December six, again Billy Maguire does a fine job of expressing. On December six, nineteen one. George V, with the help of some Irish traitors, made his own royal doll of, of Ireland. And all, and that was on December 6, 1921. And all successive governments of Ireland to this present day have been successors to the to the doll set up by King George V on December 6, 1921. If Ireland is going to be free, it must it must abolish its current government again, created by George V and Irish traitors, and reinstall the true Dáil Éireann of January 21, 1919. Ireland will then be free, and it will not be free until then. Everything we've ever seen official Ireland do in the United States has been either illegal, very much, very anti-American. For example, they're even trying to set up a pecking order, a social pecking order, like the British class system here in Irish Chicago, in which, of course, they would be among the top dogs in this pecking order. But they have no respect for, for American democracy. And, and, and Mary and I were physically assaulted by the police years ago, distributing our map, our map of the mass graves of Ireland by, the, by an off-duty uh, policeman at the Milwaukee Irish Fest. I called... Oh, we were, we were distributing my pamphlet, and Mary screamed. I turned around, and I saw her gushing blood from her mouth, Jesus. her lips. And, and, and I said, what happened? She said, that man pointing hit me in the mouth. And so I called for the police, and the police must have been very close because they came by within seconds. And I pointed out Mary's assailant to them. They handcuffed me and then pushed me backward onto my handcuffed hands on the concrete sidewalk. I was very lucky I didn't break hands, a few fingers in my hands. Uh, they hustled us up and locked, and locked us up in a federal, in a, in, a, uh, uh, in a local guard shack. And while, while I was locked up inside in agony because the policeman made the handcuffs exceedingly tight, and when I pleaded to loosen them a little bit, he retightened them so tightly that they broke the skin right to the bone on both, uh, uh, on both uh, wrists. Uh, Mary, outside, and her, her lips were as, big, were as big as a baseball, had swollen up horribly. She was still bleeding. Uh, the Irish Consul General came along, and Mary said to him, you're behind this. If he didn't know what was going on, he would have said, behind what? He didn't. He said, no, I'm not. So we then, we then knew that these crimes against us were done with the complicity of the Irish Consul General and therefore the Irish government. They, they took us to the hospital to dress our wounds that they had inflicted, and then they drove us from the hospital to the police uh, station and, and jail in downtown Milwaukee there until noon the next day. The Antifa, now I know in America it's nothing to do with your government, but I think our government, Antifa and Sinn Féin are all in line because you'll find that anything that the government wants, the Antifa in Ireland and they co-riot and violently attack Anything that the government want, they seem to be on the side of government. And there's been stories that they're undercovered policemen in their guardie. There is, and you see that they're extremely violent thugs in it. And they also probably have local criminals that they are paying them to cause violence. So very sad. Uh, I must say, we here in the States tend to have an expectation that the people in Ireland are 
because we here in the States are generally more law-abiding than the average American. We kind of think that it is because we're Irish that our people are so law-abiding. So it's quite a disappointment when we see the Irish government, the so official Ireland, yeah. acting so criminally. It is really, it's heartbreaking in a way. And they're, they're, what they did against the Birmingham Six and others it, it before your time was really, really shocking. And they have been our main opposition, all of our, all of our work for, for good deeds, all of our efforts for general good have all been opposed by Irish governments here in Chicago. And in fact, they have a little claque around them all of the people who, who tend to surround the Irish Consul General here in Chicago are all on the make. They're all looking to see how they can possibly benefit by anything that comes along. In other words, they come along willing to sell out no matter what the issue is. All they need is to know is what does, what does the Consul General government, the general, uh, Consul General want, and, and pursue that. And in that way, they, they get their little, their little uh, uh, boosts, social boosts. It's, it's, it's truly tragic because the Irish Consul General opposes justice in every single case that we've ever been involved in. Such it, more and more that you talk, I realise how criminal that the Irish government is. And it's right in front of us and it's quite obvious because they attack people who are in any way speaking out or speaking things that they don't like, where if it was a real government, they wouldn't attack people. Of course. So I sent you, uh, as part of this interview, uh, what we think might be the three things we were doing that might have uh, prompted the criminals in the, in the FBI to attack us. And one was the Mass Graves of Ireland map yeah. that shows which British regiment removed the food from which district of each of which county. Either that or the, the list of my letters to the editor published in Chicago newspapers about the McBride principles at the time, or the scorecard that shows where all the various US politicians stood, where they, what they had voted for among our issues and what they had voted against, and scoring them accordingly. It was a very useful thing to have here and we, we circulated it in the tens of thousands. So that was that one of them is probably, or maybe all of them, are the reason for the attacks upon us. Or a mixture, yeah. But, yeah, or, exactly. But the crimes against it, this particular crimes that we're pointing out today, are uh, IRS, in, Internal Revenue Service, that's the taxing agency of the United States government, and their extortion from me of tens of thousands of dollars, um, maybe maybe under 20,000, but I'm not sure. I think I've listed on one of those sheets, I, I showed uh, photocopies of of some 14 or 15 checks, $1,000 checks right, yes, that I so. sent month, monthly to the Irish, to the uh, in, uh, Internal Revenue Service. Uh, the uh, proof that they were, that that was a criminal extortion is that they began when the FBI smear campaign began, and they continued until we defeated the second of the FBI's series of crimes against us in federal court. And they ceased when I demanded that they return my payments to me, again, criminal extortion payments to them yeah. from me. They said, no, how are we going to solve this? Uh, we're not going to reimburse you, but we're not going to extort any more from you. What we've taken from you, we're keeping 
but we're not going to demand any more under the threat of, of course, immediate arrest and imprisonment, which is why I had been paying them for the previous couple of years. So that was the only way that, that they could prove that they were criminal. Had they, had they stopped, stopped extorting and reimbursed what they extorted, that would be one thing. If they could claim that they were right and that they, and that they I did owe the money, they would have insisted upon continuing the extraction of money from me. Yeah. But they didn't do either. Either one of those positions would have indicated uh, honesty on their part. But they took the middle ground. Uh, they, they, they didn't admit anything, but they didn't continue extorting, which indicates that middle ground was the only one decision they could make that would indicate their own criminality. And that's what they did. So you have their... Uh, two uh, items there to be printed up, three pages of, of, um, of documents showing FBI crimes, and then there's a few more on the second one. So that's what this interview is about. The, the crimes, not alone by the FBI, this is the first one now that really indicates that the, the larger American government were behind these crimes. Taped my phone prior to the dropping of all charges against us. So they are tapping your phone. Oh yes, yes. They, in fact, one of the pieces of evidence against us in their criminal uh, incarceration of me, my wife and I and two others, uh, one of the pieces of of, uh, of what they consider evidence was a conversation I had on my own landline home at home by a mole that they had, criminal that they had hired from Boston, asking questions, and I am mystified, and I'm wondering what's going on here. But that's, and there's, I don't know why they have it, but they're, because they, they didn't get any kind of self-incriminating uh, material conversation from me. But they also, here's a, a, a good one, among the maybe more effective pieces of evidence they had against us was a uh, $8,000 or some, I think it was $8,000 uh, to IRA. And they were using that to say that we had sent this sum of money to the IRA. Mm-hmm. It turns out that the money in question were what's called in the States individual retirement accounts, IRAs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that was being used against us. That goes to show how desperate they were to find some kind of thing that they could charge us with. Because you see, what happened is that at a meeting of our group, Friends of Irish Freedom, uh, this newcomer from Boston was spotted by my wife, Mary. Our chairman was talking. Two men had just gone back to St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, our chairman was talking. I was looking at him. Mary, our secretary, sitting at the table along with the chairman, came over, sat beside me, and pointed excitedly to a notebook in her lap. I didn't have my glasses on, and I couldn't see what she was pointing to, but I saw where she was looking with great concern. And when I looked at, at John Tuttle from Boston, he seemed to be aiming a gun from underneath his coat at our chairman. I immediately reacted. I reached out across an empty chair, pushed his hand down toward the floor, thinking I'm going to have a hell of a time explaining this, but there was something hard there under his hand. I jumped up, put both hands around this hard object, and motioned him to stand up. Eventually, I was able to extract from a lining in his coat some kind of, a, I thought it was a machine pistol, but it was it was an electronic communication equipment. While we, so we took it away from him and was trying to figure out what it could be, and minutes later, 
as we, as we all decided, this is dangerous. We better get out of here. Yeah. So we headed toward the door. As we were going out the door, FBI agents, we found out later, but a, a group of, of uh, mountain clothes wearing really weird stuff, uh, clothes with, with drawn guns came in saying, where is Tuttle? And so we kept going out and headed for home in our car. And they went in and announced who they were, that they were FBI. So this man was inside communicating by means of both a radio and a, and a transmitter and oh a recording device, two different devices, what was going on. The FBI later tried to use that, but they, but they, cut, they cut the entire true meeting out of the middle of the, of the tape and then added words onto the beginning of the tape to conceal their excision, and that was all found. And that's how they—that's how we defeated them in federal court. We were able to prove that their only evidence against us, an FBI audio tape, was a criminal fabrication by the FBI. So we, we, we were lucky. If Mary had not spotted uh, that strange action on the part of Tuttle, and yeah. what he was doing, he was turning the knobs, he was twisting the knobs on the dials of his equipment. And if she hadn't spotted him, the the FBI would have had plenty of time to arrange more cunning crimes against us. But what happened by by discovering, by my wife Mary discovering uh, John Tuttle, a mole within us for the FBI, and pointing out what he was doing and our acting, we robbed the FBI of their time, their control of time. They then burst through our door the next morning and, and, and locked us up in the, in the federal jail in downtown Chicago. Oh but they had had no time to prepare their case against us. And so they went with the only thing they had, uh, their own fabricated audio tape, and they, that didn't work. We were able to prove it was a criminal fabrication, and they lost that case. In the same way, they had previously lost their case where they framed me for the triple murder of a 16-year-old who had murdered his neighbors, the Langard family, with an FBI agent's 357 Magnum. That FBI agent was never held to account for the use of, of the gun in that murder. Nothing was ever done about it because these are all uh, protected crimes. When the government commits crimes, their crimes are protected. Nothing was ever done uh, regarding uh, any of FBI agent Buckley's many crimes against us in Chicago. Nothing was ever done regarding his crimes in the murder of 21 people, or sorry, 29 or 31, if you count the unborn, in the in the six oh, count in uh, in Oma County, Tyrone. All of that were all of those were protected crime, and the Irish government is participating in those pro protected crimes in Ireland, and we know how they're doing it. We, we don't have the absolutely conclusive evidence on much of it in Ireland. We have nailed it absolutely total, the FBI crimes in the States. And we're also, today, we're showing that the, that the Internal Revenue Service was involved in the FBI crimes. They participated with them. And, and at our next interview, we'll show that the post office participated in those FBI crimes. Oh and previously, I already gave you evidence that... Uh, that U.S. Judge George Lindbergh mm -hmm. refused to to bring FBI crime the attention to the authority, the law enforcement authorities, to the crimes perpetrated in front of him in his own courtroom. And we have the letter by another criminal Department of Justice official, who ordered Sergeant Calvaitis to turn the the, the state murder 
violations, murders of the Langards, into an international criminal terrorist uh, uh, effort, uh, completely false. That also was done by a Department of Justice official. So the FBI were not alone in committing their crimes against us in Chicago, and they were not alone in their in their in their arranging of the real IRA murder of 29 people in Oma. All of that was done with uh, with called high up government officials of the United States, and the whole point of them was to defeat the IRA in order to free up the British Army, without which. The, the neocons' crimes against Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Syria Libya, etc., could not have proceeded. So George Bush's crimes uh, were were given the go-ahead only after the IRA were, de- were defeated in Oma. That's what freed up the British Army from Ireland, and that is what that is what caused the demobilization from Ireland of FBI agent Buckley and his criminal accomplice, David Rupert. So that's it for today. Uh, so far, as to, if you have any questions, uh, I'd be very happy to try to reply to any. Amazing, Chris. Just absorb it all, because it, it's actually quite shocking to take this on board, that so much criminality in governments, and really think that your government or governments are so criminal, the British government. Yes, it's, yes, it's one thing for, for 170 years ago for the British government to have murdered some 5.2 million Irish. Uh, that's shocking, but being so long ago helps to sort of blunt its 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 hurt, it, the, the, the mm. amount of pain it causes. But in my opinion, it is the current cover-up of that genocide that is so, so yeah. hard to bear. I'm, I am more offended by the current cover-up of that genocide than I am by the original genocidists. Yeah, we're supposed to we're supposed to know better. We we've had the, the we've had the the Nuremberg Tribunal, which we thought would end the genocide on a permanent basis on Earth, and it was there that they defined the supreme crime, and the supreme crime is a waging of an unprovoked war, in which every every death and every every destruction of a property is all attributable to the individuals who initiated that crime, who initiated that war. George Bush and others have an awful lot to answer for, but if we don't start to stand up for the truth, it will. the genocides will go on and on and on. And in fact, there might be a genocide underway today in the lockdown all over Earth. Absolutely. In order, to, in order to defeat... Uh, an illness that doesn't kill the young, not not to any significant degree. The, the young people, the students, and the workers are not threatened lethally by COVID-19. The people who are who are, are threatened by it, threatened by, uh, by death by it, are the aged like myself and people who have what they call comorbidities, obesity or diabetes, heart heart or lung trouble. Everyone else. Uh, to them, the death rate is far less than driving an auto down the street, and the and the, the working people, the productive people, should continue producing. The students should continue learning. Uh, what we, there are so many people now not producing that they, that millions are likely to die as a consequence of the lack of production, and that's that's being accepted. And the, the, so there's some evil hand at work here, Absolutely. and I'm hoping that that the people will understand. You'll notice how slow 
real data are coming out. Yeah. Uh, the forces are major. The forces to keep this this genocide uh, oh. underway, and there is a genocide underway, and, it's, and I'd say it's less than a year away until until people start dying from the current lag option. Will not produce not a well on which we all, the Irish government, I think, might be among among the world's most Corrupt. obedient vassal state of the deep state. We, we'll see how this sorts itself out, but I'm afraid that the shutting down of production is a way of 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 reducing the population. And I think population reduction is a large part of what this is about. Huge. And I don't think that the, those who are behind it are going to have their offspring reduced by many. Yeah. I think it's aimed at others. We are, the whole world is now the other, and a, a, a relative handful of people are doing it for their own criminal purposes. Um, again, and at the same time, we must avoid being developing ideas that don't have a basic effect. We must always go with the evidence, wherever the evidence, wherever the truth leads us. And we can't, we cannot go beyond where that leads us. In fact, we have to be careful to not uh, make accusations or to, or to assume things. So I'm hoping uh, that things go with well with you, Bond listeners, and I'm hoping that you'll spread the word Absolutely. about these crimes so that justice can be imposed. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much again, uh, Chris. It's absolutely a pleasure to have you on again and to hear your story. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye.
the town that I have loved so well, where our school played ball by the gas yard wall, and we laughed through the smoke and the smell. Going home in the rain, running up the dark lane, past the jail and down behind the fountain. Those were happy days in so many, many ways in the town I loved so In the early morning, the shirt factory horn calls the women from Cregan, the moor and the board, while their men on the dole play the mother's role, fed the children and And when times got rough, there was just about enough. But we saw it through without complaining. For deep inside was a burning pride in the town. We all could understand I remember the day I earned my first pay When I played in a small pickup band There I spent I found a wife in the town I loved so Town 
could be brought to its knees by the armored cars and the bombed out bars and the gas that hangs on to every Oh. Uh-huh. 